and welcome to Season 3 of Wait a Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. In this week's podcast, I'll be reading to you the next chapter from my novel, Not on My Watch, which is the third book in the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next chapter, Not on My Watch, as well as the other three books in the series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. If you are interested in ordering any of my books, please visit my website, jcbodden.com. You'll find the link in the podcast info. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 312, Not on My Watch, chapter 12. Rebecca and Rufus Kingfisher arrived from Atlanta, where they had been attending a conference, shortly after midnight. Elliot greeted them tearfully in the doorway of Lynn's room. There had been no change in her condition. She was still unconscious. The pressure on her brain had not subsided, but it had not increased either. She was still being monitored closely. Rebecca listened carefully to Elliot's explanation and pulled up a chair to sit at her younger daughter's bedside. Rufus asked the nurse if she would have the neurologist on call stop in as soon as he had a chance. Then he turned to Devlin. So, what's being done? Devlin cleared his throat and ran his fingers through his hair. The room is being searched for evidence. Employees and end guests are being interviewed. Their surveillance video is being reviewed. Has the FBI been contacted? Devlin sighed. The FBI agent in charge of investigating the charges against me, which have been dropped, is still in town. He has offered his services. At this point, the agency has not been called in. This means that you think your police department will be able to find the person responsible for my daughter being in a coma? Mr. Kingfisher, Devlin said quietly. Four years ago, my daughter was abducted and held captive for nearly eight hours by a man who had every intention of killing her. I'm telling you this so that you will know that, as a father, I can understand something of what you are going through right now. Please know that we will do everything humanly possible, including asking the feds to help us if necessary, to find out what happened and bring the person responsible to justice. Rufus looked Evelyn in the eye for several more moments before he simply nodded and went to stand beside his wife and at his daughter's bedside. Elliot patted her father's hand and then walked around the bed to stand beside Devlin. The look of confusion and hurt on her face was almost more than he could stand. He reached out and took her hand in his. Listen, Elliot, I don't think I'm doing much good here. I'll stay if you want me to, but I really think I can be more useful at the station working the case. She looked at him, but he could tell she was not really hearing his words. Come on, Elliot, let's take a little walk. He tugged on her hand, but she refused to move. Elliot, come on, he insisted. She's okay. Your mom and dad are here with her. Let's go get some fresh air. He led her down the stairs and out to the hospital courtyard. The night air was warm, but she began to shiver. He took her to a bench and sat beside her, his arms around her. She laid her head on his shoulder and cried silently. After a few minutes, she sat up and wiped her face. Okay, that's enough. Now it's time for me to get mad. Devlin smiled tentatively at her. Mad? Yeah, no more being sad about this. Now I'm mad. Mad at the son of a bitch who did this to my baby sister. Sad doesn't get anything done. Mad does. Devlin's smile widened. That's right, now you're talking. I want to get something done. I can't stand sitting around. Okay, good. What are we going to do? He blinked several times. 
Well, he began, I'm not sure we are going to do anything. I was going to go to the station to work the case, check out the surveillance tapes, go over some of my old case files to see who's been released that might have it in for me. I think I need to go back to the room. Lynn's room? Our room, at the inn. Really? He ran his fingers through his hair. Yes, well, here's what I'm thinking. The center room of the suite was trashed, right? He nodded, watching the expression on her face carefully. That makes me think that they were stealing something or looking for something. Either way, I should go there so I can see what's missing. He nodded, impressed. Yeah, okay, you're right. It would be a big help to know what's gone from the room. He paused and took her hand in his. But I've got to warn you, it may be very difficult for you to go back there. She took a deep breath. I've thought about that, but it needs to be done, and as far as I'm concerned, the sooner the better. We've got to figure this out. I need to help. He nodded again and stood, pulling her to her feet. All right then, girl. Let's get going. He turned back to the door. She noticed his badge and gun back on his hip where it belonged. Hey, your chief again? She touched his arm. He stopped and smiled slightly at her. Yeah, Roger stopped by a little bit ago. The results from the DNA tests showed that dog blood was on the bullet, just like we thought. He got the mayor to reinstate me tonight. She squeezed his hand, and the two of them went back into the hospital. In Lynn's room, Elliot explained their plan to her parents. Devlin stayed in the hallway, watching the exchange through the window. Rufus looked from Elliot's face to Devlin. With a slight nod of his head toward Devlin, he turned back to Lynn. Rebecca walked with Elliot to the hallway. Her brown eyes were sad, but Devlin also noticed a strength there, a steely resolve. She reached out and took both of his hands in hers. She looked into his face for a long moment before she smiled slightly. Yes, she said softly. She dropped his hands and turned to her daughter. He's a good man, Ellie. Elliot leaned over and kissed her mother on the cheek. Yes, Mama, I know. He is a good man. Rebecca looked from Elliot to Devlin and back to Elliot. Her face clouded for a moment, and then she said with a sigh, this is not going to be easy. Now it was Elliot's turn to look at Devlin and then back to her mother. I know, Mama, she whispered. Reporters swarmed around Devlin and Elliot as they tried to leave the hospital. They squinted in the bright lights from numerous cameras and tried to push their way past the group that had descended upon them. Questions were called out, microphones shoved in their faces. Devlin grabbed Elliot's hand and pulled her close. I had no idea these guys were here, he said in her ear. I'm sorry. Tell them something, Elliot replied, near panic in her voice. Otherwise, they'll just hound us to death. He looked in her eyes and felt his heart break a little. They stopped walking and he took a deep breath. He held up his hands and waited for the press to stop jostling them. There have been several developments in the case, he said calmly. In light of this new evidence, I have been cleared of any involvement in Bobby Earl Davenport's murder and therefore have been reinstated as chief of police. Earlier this evening, Lynn Kingfisher, my attorney's sister and assistant, was attacked at her room at the heart of Auburn Inn. What is this new evidence, Chief? One reporter called out. I'm not going to discuss it at this point, pending the continuation of the investigation, he answered. What is Miss Kingfisher's condition? She has a serious head injury. She was unconscious when she was found and has not regained consciousness. Is she going to die? Devlin squinted for several moments at the reporter who had asked that question. He did not recognize the young man, although Blake Black from the Chronicle was standing beside him. Devlin heard Blake whisper to the other reporter, Not cool, man. That's her sister standing right there. Devlin caught Blake's eye and nodded his thanks, then deliberately turned his head away. He gently squeezed Elliot's hand. Blake spoke up. 
Chief, do you believe that the attack on Miss Kingfisher has something to do with the case involving Bobby Earl Davenport? Devlin took a moment and considered his answer. He wondered if the kidnapper was watching the news right now or if he would read a quote in the paper later. Either way, it occurred to Devlin that he would be sending the man a message. He looked directly into the television camera closest to his face and said firmly, We are looking at all the evidence and studying all the possibilities. We have not ruled out anything, but rest assured we will solve these cases and bring whoever is responsible for these crimes to justice. The City of Auburn's Police Department will not rest until this job is done. You have my word as chief on that. He tugged Elliot's hand and the two of them stepped away from the reporters, who stood open-mouthed on the stairs. When they got to Devlin's truck, Elliot turned and looked at the group, still standing on the stairs. She smiled slightly at Devlin. Damn, that's the first time I've ever seen that. Seen what? he asked as he opened her door and helped her in. A group of speechless reporters, she answered. Devlin shrugged his shoulders as he glanced back at the group. She leaned out of the truck and kissed him on the cheek. You were born to be chief, she said. He looked at her and squeezed her hand again. I just pray to God I was born to solve this case, he replied. At the end, Devlin parked beside Elliot's car. He held his hand against the window and peered in. What are you looking for, Elliot asked. Oh, I'm just seeing if she left anything in here. You know, she was going to come back to my house. I thought maybe she left her computer or even her purse in here. I don't see anything. She doesn't carry a purse, just her backpack. That's not in here either. Marty Sullivan had just come on duty at the front desk when he greeted the two of them with a worried look. Miss Kingfisher, he gasped, how is your sister? Elliot just smiled slightly and shook her head, her eyes full of tears, as she walked past him to the elevator. Devlin stopped and spoke. She's in critical condition. There's been some brain injury. We don't really know the extent of it at this point, Marty. Marty hung his head. I am so sorry that this happened here, Chief O'Quinn. I've always prided myself on this hotel as being one of the safest. Devlin patted the man on the arm. I know, Marty, I know. In the hallway outside their room, Devlin took Elliot's hand. Listen, I've been through this kind of thing once or twice. Let me know if you get overwhelmed. She looked into his kind eyes, grateful that he was there at her side. She nodded that she was ready. Devlin lifted the yellow crime scene tape and the two of them walked through the door. The room was different from when they had left it. The shards of glass from the bro broken coffee cup had been swept up. The furniture had been righted. Every hard surface in the room had black fingerprinting dust on it. Elliot stepped first into her bedroom. My suitcase is still here. It doesn't look like it's been touched. She glanced in the bathroom. This looks the same. She walked over to the nightstand. My watch was here, she said, touching a spot beside the phone. It's gone. Father gave it to me when I graduated law school. She walked over and took Devlin's hand. My computer and my watch. That's what's missing, she said as she looked into his eyes. Yeah, okay. Information about your cases on the computer? Yes, there was some stuff about your case. Just notes. There were two other active cases that I was working on. I had the case notes, timeline of important dates, evidence, witness lists, that sort of thing. What about personal information? Yes. Like what? Bank records, taxes, all the sort of financial stuff a computer is good for. Okay, well, you'll have to make some phone calls about that. She rubbed her hands over her thighs. Yeah, I'll deal with that later. She looked at him and her eyes welled with tears. And there's also, he finished her thought for her, the pictures of Anna Grace. All she could do was nod. He pulled her into his arms. 
Why don't you let me look around Lynn's room? He asked gently. You stay here. I'll tell you what's there, and you can see if it sounds like anything's missing. She looked into his eyes. No, I'll go. I want to. I need to see for myself. He nodded and took her hand. Lynn's room was also relatively untouched. Her backpack was on the floor beside the door. In the bathroom, her makeup bag was open on the counter, her toothbrush and toothpaste beside the sink, shampoo and conditioner bottles in the shower. The only thing in the room to remind them of what had happened earlier was the bed still pushed over to the side, and several bloodstains on the carpet where Lynn had lain. Elliot took in a sharp breath. Her computer's not here either, she said simply. She turned to Devlin. Maybe it was a robbery. He ran his fingers through his hair. Maybe, he said with a shrug, but I don't think so. Really? Elliot asked, her voice suddenly harsh as she folded her arms across her chest. Why not? Because everything has to be about you? He blinked his eyes. He had expected anger. He just hadn't expected it to be turned on him. Well, no, not really, he started. Maybe my sister just surprised some asshole that had broken in to steal the computers and anything else he could get his slimy hands on, and got herself clocked up the side of the head for her trouble. Well, Devlin started again. That's one possibility. Come on, Devlin, she said, her brown eyes flashing. Admit it. That would be way too simple an explanation for you. She threw her hands in the air. You're all about some conspiracy, some big old boogeyman who's out to get you and make you and everyone around you suffer. And maybe, just maybe, Lynn had the misfortune to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Elliot, he started softly, taking a step toward her. Come on. Let me get you back to the hospital. She put both hands on his chest, stopping him from coming any closer. Her nostrils pinched in, and she began to breathe so fast that Devlin wondered if she would hyperventilate. No, she said, her voice trembling. Don't do that. Don't be nice to me. Elliot. Ellie, he said again. Stop it. Stop it. She pushed his chest, forcing him to take a step away from her. I don't want you to look at me like that. Don't look at me like you want to take care of me. Lynn's the one that needs taking care of. She's the one who's hurt. She's hurt because of me. Elliot, don't say that. It isn't true. Devlin stepped toward her again. She put one hand back on his chest and held her other hand in the air. The hell it's not, Devlin, she said, her voice trembling. She only came here to Auburn because I asked her to. She only came here to the inn by herself because I asked her to. Because I'm selfish because I wanted to have time alone with you. She dropped both her hands and shoulder past him out the room. She scooped her car keys off the counter in the kitchenette and strode out of the suite. He followed her as she went down the stairs and through the lobby to her car. She got in and slammed the door, starting the engine and with a screech of tires pulled out of the parking lot. Devlin followed in his truck. She drove back to the hospital, running five different stoplights on the way. Each time Devlin prayed aloud as he followed behind her that no traffic was coming. A few reporters were still gathered at the entrance to the hospital when Elliot and Devlin pulled into the lot. Elliot didn't notice them in her haste to park and get back in, but as she rushed up to the door, she was suddenly stopped in her tracks. Devlin, who was only a few steps behind her, kept on walking toward the group. The reporters descended on him as he paused in front of the door, and Elliot went by, unnoticed. When she reached the door, she turned for a moment and caught Devlin's eyes, but her eyes were hard and dry as she stepped into the building. Has there been a break in the case, Chief O'Quinn? one of the reporters asked. He stood silently in front of them, wanting to make sure that Elliot had enough time to get past the entrance and aching because she wasn't there at his side. After a moment, he sighed and looked at the reporter who had asked that question. No, no change. 
We are still investigating. Chief, is there something between you and Miss Kingfisher? Elliot Kingfisher is my attorney, he said carefully as he eyed the reporter warily. Yes, but are you a couple? Why would you ask that? He zeroed in on the young man's face. The reporter squirmed a bit, but continued with his line of questioning. Well, there was that picture of the two of you in the Auburn Chronicle a couple of weeks ago. Devlin stood on the steps for a long time, his hands on his hips, looking over the heads of the group around him, studying the night sky. It wasn't so much that he didn't want to talk about his relationship with Elliot. It was just that he couldn't understand why he would talk about it with a bunch of reporters he didn't even know. Finally, he looked again at the young man who had asked the question. Elliot and I have been seeing each other socially, although that has nothing to do with the murder of Bobby Earl Davenport or the assault on Lynn Kingfisher. He sighed, realizing that, as a public figure, all of his life was public, whether he liked it that way or not. Several reporters began to comment and ask questions all at once, making it difficult for Devlin to understand much of what was being said. He held up his hands. Listen, guys, he said, his voice tired. Why don't y'all go to bed? Nothing is going to break in this case tonight. We'll call a press conference just as soon as we know something. I promise. He shoved his hands in his pockets and walked past them into the hospital. At the window to Lynn's room, Devlin saw Elliot inside with her mother, but Rufus Kingfisher was not there. He turned to the nurse's station. Where's Mr. Kingfisher? He's with the neurologist, Chief O'Quinn. A moment later, Rufus and a small man in scrubs came around the corner at the end of the hall. There they all now, Chief, the nurse indicated with a tilt of her head. Devlin waited until Rufus had shaken the doctor's hand and gone back in Lynn's room to be with his family. Doctor, could I speak with you? Certainly, Chief O'Quinn. You're the neurologist? Dillip Munka, yes. I'm investigating Lynn Kingfisher's assault. Was she hit just once? No, actually, there were two wounds. The first one probably didn't knock her out, although it would have hurt like hell. It was a blow to the back of the head, some type of glass. There were a few cuts, a couple of which required stitches. There was also numerous glass shards in her hair. She also has some cuts to her feet, probably from the same broken glass. Could it have been from a coffee pot? Munka paused for a moment as he considered. Yeah, that would do it. There was a broken one at the scene. What about the other wound? It was much more severe and did much more damage. It was to the side of the head, the temple region. The skull is thin there, making any blows in that area particularly damaging. Munka in indicated on his own head. Any ideas about what caused that blow? Well, I'm not a forensics expert, Chief, but it was something with a coroner. Excuse me, did you say a coroner? Yeah, I'll send you people the x-ray. But it actually made a dent in the bone like a corner. I mean, deeper in the middle than on the sides. You mean like she hit her head on the counter or a table? The doctor considered this idea. Yeah, that could be it, but I'm not really sure about the angle. It was more like something came down from above, like something was swung at her. Devlin looked carefully at the doctor. Like a laptop computer? The doctor's dark eyes opened wide. Yes, he nodded exactly like a laptop computer. Was there sign of any other trauma? Any other assault? No, Chief, Munka said gently. The rape test kit was negative. There were some defensive wounds on her hands. We got some scrapings of skin from under her nails. We've sent that to your lab. Devlin nodded his head as he glanced into Lynn's room. Is she going to be all right, Doc? Dr. Munka had dealt with a lot of emotional family members in his work, 
but he had never seen a man whose eyes told him so much about what he was feeling as Devlin O'Quinn's. That's a tough call, Chief. I think so. The next 12 hours or so are critical. We'll know more after that. Devlin shook the doctor's hand again and then turned to look in the window. He desperately wanted to talk with Elliot, but he didn't want to make a scene. As he stood there looking in, his hands in his pockets, Rebecca turned and noticed him. She walked out of the room and said quietly, Will you take me for a walk, Chief O'Quinn? Devlin smiled and nodded. Rebecca took his arm and they walked slowly down the hall toward the darkened waiting room. Once there, she let go of his arm and walked to the window, looking out over the lights of the town. She stood there for a long time before she glanced at Devlin's reflection in the window. His shoulders were hunched forward, his hands stuffed again in its pockets, his face pained. She turned to him and smiled. You love my daughter. He straightened his shoulders. Yes, Miss Kingfisher, I do. That's why you should call me Devlin, not Chief O'Quinn. Rebecca laughed softly. Good. Elliot needs the love of a good man like you, Devlin. And you should call me Rebecca. After all, we are closer in age than usual in these situations. Devlin smiled and nodded. Does that bother you? Or your husband? Rebecca smiled gently. My husband and I learned a long time ago that, as parents, you can't really control who your children fall in love with. You think she's really in love with me? Rebecca smiled again at the hope on Devlin's face. Trust me, she is. But she's also angry now. Yes, she feels guilty. So do I. Lynn was by herself this afternoon when she was attacked because she was giving Elliot and me. He paused, and even in the darkened room, Rebecca noticed his blush. She was giving us some privacy. Rebecca turned and looked back out the darkened window. After a long time, she said quietly, Lynn is a good girl. She's very generous, and she loves her sister very much. She would do anything for her. She turned from the window and stepped to Devlin. She held his eyes for a long moment before she reached up and touched his cheek. There is something else you should know if Ellie has not already told you. Devlin raised his eyebrows, wondering if Rebecca was going to tell him about Anna Grace. Her next words caught him completely off guard. Rufus and I had another child, a son named Reese. He was born between Ellie and Lynn. When he was three, he was diagnosed with autism. Ellie was his big sister in every sense of the term. She was the only one he ever really communicated with. He drowned in a neighbor's pool when he was six and Ellie was eleven. It was hard for her. She's the one who found him. Devlin ran his fingers through his hair and sat on the arm of one of the waiting room chairs. That's the one who's in the picture with her on her bookcase? Rebecca nodded. I had no idea, he muttered. My firstborn has always been, she smiled softly, difficult. My husband was never a very expressive man. All Elliot ever wanted was his approval. Reese's death hit Elliot hard, but it hit my husband even harder. He became even more distant. Well, anyway, she thinks she has to fight the whole world. She has a hard time accepting life as it comes to her. She doesn't really believe she deserves to be happy. She's an odd combination of a strong-willed, confident woman and a scared, insecure child. Be patient with her, Devlin. She has so much to offer. When she finally decides she can trust you, when she knows that you will not betray her, she will devote herself completely to you. I promise you, it will be worth it. Devlin took her hand in his and looked into her warm brown eyes, so much like Elliot's. Believe me, Rebecca, that much I do know. The room was much the same as it was when Rebecca and Devlin had left for their walk. 
Elliot on the chair at Lynn's bedside, holding her hand, Rufus standing watch in the corner. When Rebecca entered, Elliot stood and looked first at her and then at Devlin. Rebecca stepped to the chair and sat down, taking Lynn's hand in hers. She looked at Elliot and tilted her head toward Devlin, standing in the doorway, his hands crammed back in his pockets. Elliot roughly swiped at the tears threatening to spill down her cheeks and shook her head. After a moment, Devlin cleared his throat. If you folks are all right here, I'm going to go down to the station to check on the progress on the case, he said quietly. Rebecca glanced again at Elliot and then smiled at Devlin. We'll be here. Devlin nodded his head and turned on his heel. Before he left, he stopped at the nurse's station and handed the charged nurse his card. Please call me immediately if there's any change in Lynn's condition, he said. The nurse, an older woman who had known Tezo Quinn in college, smiled and nodded. Of course, Chief. I'll be sure to. That concludes this week's chapter of Not On My Watch. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 313 of Wait A Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.